From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, we're back in Portland, so we're actually making the Soccer Made in Portland episode in Portland now, not from different sides of the internet. It's been a month since you and I were in the same city together. Yeah, it does seem like that. You were in Costa Rica, I was here, I went to Tucson when you were gone, and vice versa. <laughs> and I just remember the last show we did, you you had the ability to look at me, and I couldn't look at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're back in our Studio B, and I'm looking around, and I've never noticed this before, but I really like the color of your cabinets in your kitchen. Yeah, I have a very colorful, uh, actually full house that you probably don't notice, but there's a yellow wall over there, blue cabinets. Yeah. Um, very colorful house. No, it's very kind of, um, Betty Draper. (laughs) I like it. I like it a lot. How have you been? I have been good. Yeah. Really? (laughs) I've been in Tucson and I'm now back here. No, I've been busy with the Timbers, but it's, I'm excited because preseason is fine. You need to have it. Uh, Boy, it sounds like you and I are the same page here. It's just not that exciting to spend a month talking about the same uh, few things. And and a lot of our talking points, you know, aren't going to be that different this week. They'll start to change after we see how the Timbers play in a real game this weekend. At least we'll have a target to talk about now because we try to do our best to talk about the topics of the day during the last two months. But ultimately, it just there's so little significance to preseason discussion, but now there is significance. I think I pointed this out on Twitter though. These conversations now have significance, but the basis for the conversation preseason is still not that important. So we have to kind of, you know, read the tea leaves of something, uh, and, you know, maybe we'll come up with something good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like I don't have a lot of hopes for the show, but I am glad that we are finally talking about a real count in the standing soccer game. That's going to happen on Saturday. Yeah. But before we get there, let's just talk about how the Timbers closed out preseason and whether we, you know, whether there's any takeaways from that that we can now uh, take into this weekend against Colorado. The Timbers, of course, will open their season Saturday at Colorado, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific time. Um, but the Timbers uh, finished, I, I think, in Arizona 2-1-1. One, one. Uh, there was their preseason say, slate. They finished uh, with that 3-0 win over Salt Lake. I, I think they have Salt Lake's number. <laughs> It's the exact opposite of 2013 when Cam Ford was first year where Salt Lake uh, was the one team in MLS that could beat the Timbers every single time. Um, Mm -hmm. But do you have any takeaways from that game or or sort of feelings uh, after that now leading into the start of the season? I do, but every time I try to come up with some kind of conclusion, I feel confident about, I just have to remind myself it's preseason. I think the one thing that was something that, is worth discussing is the actual lineup choice because we've seen yep. as preseason is going on there is some consistency to what we would probably label as the first team group and it's basically the lineup we saw in Atlanta for MLS Cup with Julio Cascante in Liam Ridgewell's place and given the consistency we've seen that lineup being chosen where it's chosen as far as uh, the space between games, how that line has been built up as far as its minutes, it looks like that's the likely first 11 for Saturday's game. That's not something Giovanni Savarese is ever going to tell us, but what do you think? Do you think the 11 we saw against Real Salt Lake in Tucson is going to be the same 11 we're going to see in Commerce against in Commerce City against Colorado? Yeah, I, I expect that to be the lineup. I, I think the um, one, I guess, question mark is whether... Jorge Maria comes in. Um, he 
I asked Gio about that today. He said he's been impressed how quickly he's integrated and, and has started competing for that spot. I definitely think if any spot in the field is uh, is a question mark in terms of who's going to start in the long run, that's it. Um, I, I think uh, Reyes come in to try to win that role from Zarek Valentin. I still expect that Gio's after his Valentin season last year is not going to take away his spot on day one, especially after um, having a new right back come in so late in preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I expect, yeah, we're going to see really the four through three and uh, pretty much the exact same formation and lineup that we saw uh, in, in the MLS Cup, just switching out Cascante for Ridgewell. I completely agree with you. I think it's kind of interesting and to talk about, and we probably will talk about, how Julio Cascante has emerged as the likely starter next to Laris Mabiala in central defense, but I still want to stick with the right back uh, thing. It does seem like Jorge Morea is a likely starter at some point. I was really impressed with how glowingly Giovanni Savarese talked about him when he was responding to your question today in the press conference. Giovanni Savarese is always positive about his players, but there was something um, a little bit more glowing, a little bit more immediate about the praise that he was offering Jorge Morea about his ability to fit in quickly. And I think, like you said in your article that you put up today about the state of the team, you don't spend this much money on a player and expect him to sit on the bench. That being said, I don't think we can completely count out Zarek Valentin either. I think it will be a competition, and maybe Zarek has to be viewed as an underdog right now. But I think a lot of us thought he was underdogs last year when he had to switch to the right side and compete with Alvis Powell, and he ended up displacing him. This is obviously a higher bar, or we it's supposed yeah. to be a higher bar. I don't want to make it sound like we're Jorge Morea experts or anything, but uh, I wouldn't count out uh, Zarek Valentin to get playing time this year at right back. Yeah, Zarek Valentin throughout his career, and especially since he's come to the Timbers, he came in as a depth piece, and every year he's played, I think, over 20 games. I have to look back exactly, but he's played a significant amount of games every year just by being that guy that's consistent, that can be versatile, that can come in when you need him, and he keeps finding a way to win a role within the team. So I think, yeah, it would be unfair to count him out, but I think it's clear that the Timbers signed uh, Rhea to come in and start, not or at least to try really hard to compete for that role. They, they wouldn't have used target allocation money. They wouldn't have spent the entire offseason making sure they got the signing right if they, they want a player to come in and just be a depth piece there. At the same time, there is, I mean, Jorge Morea is on a one-year loan. Yeah. If, he, if it's a situation where Valentin really is better than Morea, they're not going to be sitting here going, oh, well, we have to play Morea because we've made this commitment yeah, to him. Uh, they can not exercise the option on the loan. That being said, you talked about using targeted allocation money. It is an interesting contract to the central defender um, situation because they did bring in a central defender, traded for him uh, relatively, I don't want to say small, but it was a small allotment of, ta- of allocation money that they gave the revolution for the rights to sign Claude Dielna. And it looks like Claude Dielna at best is still in competition with Julio Cascante, Bill Tuiloma, Larry Smabiala. But as we talked about before, it looks like Julio Cascante uh, might be beating out Claude Dielna. Now, I personally, I mean, I think maybe you know this, I've always been very high on Julio Cascante, mostly because of just his pure physical tools. I mean, physically, he projects like almost any elite defender in Major League Soccer. Obviously, he hasn't performed to that level yet, but I guess the question I want to throw to you is how surprised are you that, at least to this point, it appears that Julio Cascante is getting the first 11 minutes? Yeah, I, I am surprised by it. I, I think when they brought in Dielna, the team was saying that they really liked the option of bringing in a veteran, especially for the first 12 games of the season where they're going to be on the road, have someone with that MLS experience. Uh, to, so to be in a point, I, I mean, I think there'll be some rotation within this first 12 games of the season, but yeah. to be at the point where it just doesn't 
doesn't look like Dielna has pushed enough to potentially get that starting role, I, I think is a bit disappointing given sort of his pedigree and how the team was sort of viewing him coming in. Doesn't mean he won't get there. Doesn't mean that we're not going to see a lot of him. And this this could change throughout the season. Uh, as we saw last year, there was plenty of different center back pairings that we, we saw being used. But I am sort of surprised that Cascante is the one that's uh, seemingly claimed that role. I, I, I agree that I think Cascante has a lot of potential, um, has a, a sort of um, the right physical presence and, and seems like a guy that could have the tools to be a starring center back for the Timbers in the long run. I think both him and Tui Loma, uh, the Timbers think highly of it, and that's part of why they only brought Dielna in on a, a one-year contract because they want to have options for Tui Loma and Cascante start in the future. I think Tui Loma is he's coming off a little bit of a calf strain in preseason. That might have hurt him in sort of that uh, competition. Cascante... There's clearly a reason why he's getting these starts. He must be showing well to Giovanni Sarresi, but I still am concerned with, with, I think, a little bit of a tendency to make some errors that over time, I think, as as he grows as a central defender, you'll probably see less of, and he needs games to get to that point. But of the Timber central defenders, I I think he's the one that was most prone to to some poor errors and moments last year. I, I think looking back on last year, there was a reason why when Liam Ridgewell originally went down, Julio Cascante was the first person that got a crack at the starting job. But there was also a reason why at the end of the season, Bill Tuilomo was getting those minutes. And I guess in hindsight, looking at it, we should have expected it to be a pretty open competition because clearly the team has a high regard for Julio Cascante. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to decide within myself if I think I'm surprised that Julio Cascante looks like he is at least the favorite to be... Larry's Mabiala's co-pilot at this point, but I, I, maybe we should just wait a month and see, is this going to be one week in Colorado? Is he even going to start in Colorado? Who's going to end up getting the most starts here? Is it going to be a matchup by matchup type of thing? I don't know. It's just, I think it's really interesting that at the end of last year, we would have said that Bill Tuiloma was probably a little bit ahead of Cascante in the depth chart. When Dielna was brought in, I think we would have expected him to get a good crack at that starting job, but Cascante now seems like he's getting almost all of the minutes with Larry Smaviot. It's very interesting, I think. Yeah, I think one other position that I wanted to touch on from preseason, just um, and I think it'll lead us in a little bit to some of these questions we have about uh, the potential for a designated player, is just Jeremy Abobasi's performance in, in preseason and whether to read anything into that going into the, this year and how to sort, sort of our takeaways from that. He did win the mini mobile cup golden boot, whatever that means. <laughs> Samuel Armenteros won it last year yeah, and huge, actually had huge a legacy of success with that <laughs> award. Armenteros actually had a surprising, um, no, he's very, he a was good really run. Good, yeah. So yeah, for a while, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously you, you don't read that much into that, that sort of preseason tournament golden boot, but, but Abobasi was scoring goals in preseason. So, I I mean, what are your sort of takeaways from that? Are you willing to read anything at all into it? No, I don't think I am. I think just because it just doesn't matter. I mean, maybe Abobasi has done enough at this point to cement his place as the first choice starting number nine. But at the same time, I wouldn't be so shocked if the second week of the season, Lucas Milano got the start or just based on the, opposition and the skill sets of Milano versus Abobasi. I mean, I don't know. I guess we have to, again, go into the season six, eight weeks, see what Giovanni Savarese's selection patterns are like. Is it going to be the type of thing where Abobasi is the starter by default until proven otherwise? Is he going to rotate players a little bit, particularly with a 12-game road trip? Is he going to try to preserve players? 
Or is Abobasi not even going to start on Sunday? I don't know. But it's clearly encouraging that Jeremy Abobasi is scoring goals, not only because you would rather players score goals and not score goals, but, but because that seems to be the one thing that was been missing over the last couple of years. He's obviously a great all-around player, does so many things. His hold-up play in particular last year, I think, is what really distinguished him and made him a valuable contributor over the playoffs. But the goal-scoring rate was low by forward standards. Still only 22 years old. You know that Jeremy wants to be scoring more goals. You know that's going to be an area of emphasis. But again, we're going to have to check back in six or eight weeks into the season. I mean, what would you do if you were in Giovanni Savarese's shoes? Would you just kind of hand the starting job over to Jeremy Abobasi? Or how would you factor in what you've been able to see from people like Lucas Milano and Foster Langsdorf? Yeah, I mean, you can't just hand the job over to any player. You, I mean, you need to avoid complacency. There needs to be that competition week in, week out, and Milano needs to have opportunities to potentially get that role. But at this moment, yeah, I, I think this is the opportunity for Jeremy Bobasi to be the starter, be a starter for a stretch with, you know, he, he could lose the position, but with a really good opportunity to keep the position and prove that he can um, develop and, and build on that production rate or, uh, goal scoring rate, um, which, as you said, is kind of the question mark here. I mean, like you said, hold up play um, was an asset. His ability to link up with his teammates, his ability to create space um, for for other players just off the ball with his movement. Those were all really good things we saw last year. But in this league, you, you want a forward that's going to score 10 plus goals. I, I mean, the Timbers have survived with last year especially towards the end of the year Diego Valeria and Sebastian Blanco being the main goal scorers for the team but they also had the stretch with Armenteros Armenteros helped them pick up a lot of points last year Fernando Audi early in the season it, it was not as going as well for him but historically he helped the Timbers pick up a lot of points with his goal scoring rate and, and the yeah. Timbers are missing that right now so at least a proven consistent goal score on their roster that you know is going to come in and get 10 plus goals or, or at least close to that and i think Mbobasi has a really good opportunity to show where he's at and how he can uh quickly continue developing by being in the lineup right now um it's a big question mark whether that's going to be enough but i am excited to see him have this opportunity with if the timbers if one positive of the Timbers yet not having a DP yet um, is that we know that Abobasi is going to get some chances, and I am excited to see what he sort of does with that. Yeah, I, I mean, we talk about this seemingly every show. I disagree with you a little bit on you need to have a, a forward that does these things, but obviously you want all of your players to be scoring more goals than less. I think if recent history shows us, you know, that well, recent history shows us, you know, the, the Timbers made the final last year without a proven number nine. The Seattle Sounders, two years in a row, make the finals with Jordan Morris, who is a good player, but not an established double-digit goal scorer in the league as their number nine. That being said, you would rather have goals from your forward. So I think if you're not going to get you know, an average of 15, 16 goals per 34 games from your forward, that means Sebastian Blanco has to be a double-digit goal scorer again. That means Diego Valeri has to be a double-digit goal scorer again. It means you probably need to get more production out of Andy Polo on the right side or whoever's going to be there. And it just puts you in a situation where everything has to fall into place. So yeah. I, 
I completely agree with the idea that you want that person to be able to alleviate the scoring burden off of the rest of your team. So it will be interesting. I think we'll talk about the designated player, potential designated player signing in a, in a bit. Anybody who follows the Timbers knows that they're targeting a goal scorer with that position. But the other standout signing, or I wouldn't say standout signing, but one of the ones that we had been talking about for the last two months was the potential to bring in a right back uh, to compete with Zarek Valentin. And Jorge Moreira has been acquired in between the time you and I have done a show, the show. Right back from River Plate, 29-year-old Paraguayan international. You got to see him up co- close. You've already done a story on him. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I think we touched on him without even introducing who he was uh, earlier in the show. But yeah, um, I think initially it does look like he's fitting in pretty quickly. I, I think there was hard to see too much from the 45 minutes he got against Phoenix Rising. It really where he was at he was obviously playing with the second group um but like you said earlier sort of how Savresi is talking about him is is really positive and a lot of times uh Gio sort of shies away from from talking too specifically about one player and he has been willing to talk a little bit about what he's seeing and how excited he is about how quickly um Maria has been sort of adjusting to the team so um I, I think a big help here is honestly the Spanish speaking element. He's coming in with a lot of Spanish speaking teammates. He's played against some of these players in Copa Libertadores. Uh, he said a, a Spanish speaking coach and um, the fact that he was already playing in Argentina, he's not out of season completely. I, I think all these things are helpful in terms of getting him to adjust quicker. I completely agree with you. I think there's kind of a, a set of soft skills that he's bringing here that I think really help. Giovanni Savarese a number of times between talking about Moreira in Arizona and talking about him more recently has highlighted the experience, the big games that he's played in, whether it be Copa Libertadores or uh, Club World Cup competition uh, or internationally for Paraguay. I, I personally think the fact that he's Paraguayan is a big bonus because there is one young Paraguayan on the <laughs> team who has gone through a year where he's... He, Christian Paredes looks so much more comfortable this year, but having another countryman, having another person that's being part of the Paraguayan national team, although they're going through a little bit of upheaval now because they're having to replace their coach, um, that can that can only help. And everything that I was told, and granted, I've been told this by Timbers people, so they're only going to say good things to me, is that one of the things that made it uh, Morera so difficult for River Plate to let go is his work ethic and the fact that he was such an example to everybody there that even as they were funneling in some youth into their first 11 and Moreira kind of got displaced by a 22-year-old prospect who had proved himself during Moreira's recovery from his knee injury, it was still very difficult to agree to send Moreira out on loan just because he was an example to everybody every day. So I think in addition to the fact that they see Jorge as more of an attacking player who can have an impact in the final third and somebody whose overall quality and resume brings something on its own to the team, there's that element of leadership and that element of example that makes him a little bit more than just the stats you see on a piece of paper. Do you think that the Timbers are going to try to get all Jorge's on the back line and all Diego's in the midfield? (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) It'd be amazing if they just settled on two or three names and just said, this is it. This is all we're going with. Uh, It'd probably have to be some of those names, I would think. (laughs) Um, but it is interesting and people have brought up the the abundance of Emily's in the the Thorns team now so you wonder if there's just kind of like a little bit of a fixation in there (laughs) like they don't even know it it's it's just an unconscious trigger yeah it's how they scout they see those names they're like oh that 
player must be good. <laughs> yeah, must must be must be something unconscious there. Well, we told you we were going to talk about the designated player. And I think probably the best way to do that is just go straight to your questions because you guys asked the questions that we would just be answering anyway. Uh, let's start with Jarrett. Uh, Jarrett has asked us a couple of times in recent weeks. What's the latest on the designated player search? Uh, I don't know what you're hearing, but I think in general the team is still aggressively going after designated players. We know the position profile. Gavin Wilkinson listed that profile a while ago. It's an attacking player who can play more than one position in the attack. Uh, but at this point, my general read on the designated player search is that there isn't somebody that is likely to be signed tomorrow or the next day, but it is a process where the team is still being uh, very aggressive uh, about potentially signing somebody as soon as possible, but also keeping their mind open that they might have to wait until the summer window. Yeah. When I asked Gavin about it last week, what he said was whether we bring this player in at the end of the window, um, which uh, would be May mm-hmm. um, or summer. So I think at this point they're recognizing that this isn't about to happen. Um, they're still actively pursuing it, but They've run into some snags or, or some situations where things haven't worked out quick as quickly as maybe they'd want. Um, I think the last name, obviously, that they're connected to was Eduardo Vargas uh, from Tigres. Even though that sounds like the Timbers are prepared to move on from that, I also don't think that that is completely... Uh, they've completely given up on that. I think yeah. that's still a target that if they can negotiate a transfer fee that makes sense for both sides. It could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do think that people shouldn't necessarily take the reports that they're prepared to move on from that as Vargas is definitely not the target anymore. I think it's a possibility, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I, I, I believe the Timbers are looking at different options at this point. Yeah. I think this is something you see commonly all over the world. We start talking about transfers that are going to cost teams millions and millions in both transfer fees and Salaries. You look at what happened in January in England where Gonzalo Higuain ended up with Chelsea. He's probably been linked off and on with Chelsea for two years, which means they've probably scouted him a little bit there, talked to his agent a little bit there. He moves from Spain to Italy, moves within teams in Italy, and they kind of keep in touch. So who knows how quickly things can change. I mean, Gonzalo Higuain was just shifting from Juventus to Milan five months ago, and then he yeah. finds his way at Chelsea. So who knows what happens at Tigres or with another team. I mean, Tigres is just probably the most talented team in this half of the world. So who knows what will happen there? And uh, who knows if if Vargas will just stay there too. I mean, it's obviously a very attractive situation for a player, but uh, I think as we saw with the right back search and we were seeing with the striker search, none of these things are really about one player, but as reporting happens and rumors develop, one player's name always kind of emerges. So I think that's a lesson for me, too, when I'm talking about these things on social media or on the show is we might focus on one player, but there are always multiple yeah. paths going. It is. I, I want to hear what you think about this because I think it's, it's just interesting to hear the Timbers viably connected with a player like this. For most of the time here that I've been in Portland, following this team ever since it um, moved up to MLS, I've always thought of the Timbers as a, a team that kind of punched above their market weight mostly because the fans are just great and give the team that buying power, but not really a team that buys at the upper echelon of the league. And this seems like something where it's not exactly going out and buying like Miguel Almoron or something like that, but it would be a pretty significant purchase and one that I personally didn't really associate with the Timbers profile before a couple of months ago. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think the Timbers are 
probably ever going to be Atlanta United in, in terms of their willingness to spend. I, I don't mm-hmm. really ever see the Timbers dropping that kind of consistent money to bring in designated players. But I, I think the Timbers are continuing to become more ambitious, and Merritt Paulson is continuing to become more ambitious, and um, there's more money coming to league. The teams throughout the league are using the, the influx of allocation money to get better. Um, at the top of the roster, at the middle of the roster, and, and the Timbers have certainly tried to do that with the targeted allocation money. Um, but I think they're more ambitious with their designated player signings, and you've sort of seen that over time. They have been spending more and more money. It's just not in the $10 million range, which it seems like at this point, Merritt Paulson is willing for the right player uh, to sort of up that amount of money that they've been willing to spend in the past. Yeah, I think this is also clearly being motivated by this team's championship window. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately because when you look at the Timbers roster, more and more it's dividing into two groups. It's dividing into the group that can contribute along with Diego Valeri and Diego Chara. And I would include Sebastian Blanco, Laris Mabiela, Jeff Atanella to a certain extent in there, Jorge Villafaña in that group. Um, maybe even David Guzman, even though he's a couple years younger than a lot of the people I just mentioned. But these are people that are established. You know what they are. They're probably at the height of their earning power. They probably don't have a lot of sell. You're not going to sell them for anything. But they're the core of the team that's going to compete for a title right now. But then you have this other group of players that are 24, 25, and younger who, as those guys fade out, you're hoping to groom a couple of them to step in. And we're not only talking about Julio Cascante and Bill Tuiloma and Andy Polo, who we've already mentioned, but also players like Christian Paredes and taking Tomas Konechny, Marvin Loria, Lorenzo Samparano is 24 years old, so maybe he's not the best example. But also Marco Farfan, Foster Langsdorf, as well as uh, Alias Ivacic, who is only 24 to me, it's very interesting that once you separate those groups out, there are only a couple of players that slide into the middle. I think Zarek is tw- Zarek Valentin is 27. Like, it's really two groups. Yep. So while they're bringing in somebody or they're targeting somebody to make that first older group as strong as possible, I also think by the time a lot of those players fade out, you can make the case that it'll be the time when a Christian Paredes, you'll know what you have from him. A Marvin Loria, you'll know what you have from him. I just wonder how that balance is going to work over the next two years. Yeah, I think that's a huge question. Um, that's hard to answer. I mean, even this year, you brought up before, you know, if, if you're going to have a forward like Jeremy Abobasi, um, who's not a proven goal scorer and you can't necessarily expect that he suddenly is going to become one, then you need to have Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco scoring double-digit yeah. goals. And they both did last year. But at the same time, I think Valeri specifically showed his age at times. I, I yeah. don't think he had the best season. I think he had a really good playoff run. Um, but I think there was stretches during the season when you said, yeah, this isn't the Diego Valeri from a year ago, um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and he's turning 33 this year. I, I think he's going to have to play less games. I think his defensive responsibilities, which the Timbers have limited, might have to be even less. They're going to yeah. have to ask less of Diego Valeri. And, and that's a little bit scary when, when you're talking about um, still being so reliant on him. And, and Blanco, I mean, Blanco is, is, had a great year last year. I, I assume he's going to be able to build on that, but he's turning 31. Chara, again, hasn't really shown his age. And, and yeah. if family history means anything, his, his older brother, I, I think, played into his high 30s or, or yeah. something. Um, so maybe maybe the Timbers are really lucky there, maybe. but he's also turning 33. And so there are a lot of question marks with this core that the Timbers are building around. It feels like we're coming to the end, maybe, of if the Timbers want to win now with this core, this is their chance to win now. At the same time, 
is that core going to be up to the level it was last year? I just, I just don't really know heading into the season. Yeah, I, th- I think about that constantly because you know this week, at least I know this week, I'm going to be asked over and over for my predictions. Where are the Timbers going to finish? How good do you think they are? And the one f- point that I really dwell on a lot is Diego Valeri. Yeah. Because at his best last year, he was as good as ever, but there were points, and I think during most of the season last year, where Sebastian Blanco was the team's best player. And he was definitely the player that needed to have the attack going through, kind of picked up a lot of that connecting presence that we were worried about throughout most of the year. I think Valeri finished last year with 10 goals and 12 assists. Yeah. So if he takes another step back, I mean, he, he was definitely going to take a step back from his MVP <laughs> season, everybody was. But if he ends up with like eight goals and eight assists this year, is it really unreasonable to expect Blanco and Polo and the forwards to pick up for that. I, I don't think it is. <laughs> maybe not Blanco. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, I think, I do think Blanco has another step forward in him like he had last year, but we're really only talking about maybe one or two more goals, one or two more assists, and maybe not even any improvement. Maybe it's just improvement by the eye. But I don't think it's so unreasonable that even if Valeri trends down again, that the rest of the team can pick up for that. Chara, though, is the one where clearly... We don't have, even have to say the numbers. Uh, there's no replacement for Chara, but I think you, I think of your explanation on this best when I think we had a question a couple of shows ago as to why the team doesn't go out and get a replacement for Chara. It, the way that the salary cap works, it doesn't really make sense. You can't bring somebody in to have the impact of Chara only to sit them behind Chara, and you have to allocate those resources other, where, other places on the roster. Unfortunately, when Diego Chara goes away or starts to descend, it's going to be up to Christian Paredes. It's going to be up to Renzo Sambrano. And the team's probably going to have to adjust the way that way that they play. But like you said, if there's one person that I am worried about out of all of these players, it's not Diego Chara. He looks like he has a sustainable way to contribute this year. Um, I think the one last thing we wanted to sort of answer about the news question Um is if the Timbers don't sign a DP uh, by Saturday, does that mean we can't summer transfer window in July? And I, I think this has been a little bit of a confusion out there, so I definitely want to make sure we're clarifying. Um, no, that's not what it means. The The primary transfer window right now is a 7th, and uh, that means that the Timbers, um, uh, the Timbers can still sign someone in the primary um, up until May 7th. So even if it doesn't happen, which it clearly won't, uh, this weekend, there'll be, there will not be a DP signing by Saturday, but even if it doesn't happen, it could still happen up until. Yeah. And then there's another transfer window that'll open up during the summer. And I think this is a very confusing thing for a lot of fans because of the overlap and the fact that people, we even saw it in January when the January UEFA window closed, which also was the window for a lot of other, uh, federations around the world that people thought that, okay, well, that's it. There's no designated player coming. It's like, no, there's different windows for different leagues. And it is admittedly very confusing. But as far as the season starting, there's a roster in compliance that the league ha- the team has to have before Saturday's game. They have to be legal as far as the roster limits, their international players, et cetera, et cetera. But they can sign a designated player mm-hmm. after the season starts. Um, so let's talk a little bit about injuries or let's talk a very little bit about injuries because one of the fortunate things that's happened this season is that none of the regulars are, have any injury concerns heading into this year. In fact, the only injury concern that the team has beyond Alias Ivicic, which we talked about before is another goalkeeper, Kendall McIntosh. Yeah. Uh, Gio said today that Kendall's dealing with a hamstring injury and is coming along and should be back soon. Obviously he wasn't 
probably going to even compete for a spot in the 18. So that's not really a huge deal going to Colorado. I think the worries were that Blanco had come out of a game with the with an injury in preseason. Tui Loma had been dealing with cast strain and, and Marco Farfan had also come out of a game. All three of them are were in training today, and Gio said they're completely fine. Yeah, the only weird thing in training is because the team's only two injuries are two two of the four goalkeepers they have on the thirty man roster. That T uh, two goalkeeper Jake Leaker is still yeah. training with the first team. I was talking to Jake a little bit. I was saying to him, "Have you actually trained with T two yet?" He's <laughs> like, "Nope. I was in Costa Rica. I was in Arizona, and now I have to train with the first team still just for numbers reasons." So uh, it's kind of interesting that Jake who projects to be the starting goalkeeper for uh, T2 this year, provided you know somebody isn't sent down to start a game from the first-team roster. Uh, it's funny that he hasn't actually trained <laughs> with his new teammates yet. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Saturday's game. Saturday, it's a 3 p.m. kickoff in Commerce City, Colorado. The Timbers taking on the Colorado Rapids. People might remember this game from last year because of Samuel Armenteros with a goal of the year candidate yeah. spinning around Danny Wilson. A very memorable game. And it was, I believe, the Timbers' first ever regular season victory in Colorado. Is that right? I don't think that's right. Uh, but I know the Timbers have, for some reason over the years, not been great in Colorado, but they had a very good performance last year. So, Jamie, this year, why should this be different? Yeah, I think Colorado's a completely different team. Um, they were, I believe, the worst attacking team in MLS last year. I, I have to look up the exact goal numbers, but um, it was absurdly low. Um, they tried to address that, uh, and also I maybe made some uh, changes on defense as well. They've really just gone after MLS veterans this offseason. That's been Colorado's <laughs> whole plan. Um, a lot of old MLS veterans. Yeah. And so uh, among those players, Kai Kamara, Diego Rubio, Benny Failhaber, Keegan Rosenberry, Clint Irwin. Uh, they have Kellen Acosta coming back from last year after, after being traded. That's a little bit of a younger addition. Um, but they're going to be a completely different team. And I think, yes, they're going to be definitely on the older side. But if these players can hold up for another year, there's a lot of experience coming into this group. See, I've just seen this formula used so many times that it rarely works. I think one of the exceptions is the 2013 Timbers because they did bring in a lot of veterans and thanks to Caleb Porter, I think, made that work. But, you know, as recently as last year with the LA Galaxy, Siggy mm -hmm. Schmidt goes out and tries to revitalize the Galaxy's hope by bringing in some veterans and they look good for a little while. And then eventually you find out that trying to take the the third or fourth or fifth best player off of a bunch of different teams and put them all together, it just leaves you behind the times because most of those guys are veterans who are aging. There's a reason they're available to begin yeah. with. And the rest of the league is moving forward. And I actually think that's one of the concerns with the Timbers this year is if the rest of the league is moving forward while the Timbers is, are retaining their roster, where does that leave the Timbers? So that's something to be played out. But there's no doubt at all that Colorado is just a much more dangerous team this year. I mean, we saw at Providence Park last year with Kai Kamara. At any time, he's capable of scoring a goal. Diego yeah. Rubio. I, I asked Giovanni Savarese today, well, how do you prepare for a team when you don't know how that combination is going to work? He's all, no, no, we, we know how it's going to work. We've seen enough film. I don't know. Like It has to be preseason film, right? Because they've never played together in their regular season before. But those are two guys that have proven they can score goals in Major League Soccer. So at a minimum, the Rapids are more capable and more dangerous than they were last year. The still, uh, let me get your thoughts on this without giving away the prediction we'll do at the end of the show. They still seem like a team, though, where if the Timbers, with their talent and what they're bringing to this game, play their best, that the Timbers should expect a result similar to last year. Yeah, I, I think that if I, I think that Colorado has a lot more talent this year, but I, I don't think they're suddenly going to be 
one of the top teams in the Western Conference or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. I, I think they've done a lot to improve. But like you said, this isn't a long-term solution. This is sort of a short-term fix that may or may not work this year. I think the Timbers are, this is one of the teams in this 12-game road trip that the Timbers are going to be going on, that, that this is an opportunity uh, to get a win. Um, Colorado is also going to be motivated on, on day one with a lot of new players that aren't going to be fatigued by their age on the on the first day of the season. So it could go either way. Um, yeah. But yeah, if the Timbers play like they did towards the end of the year last year, I, I mean, we saw that last year. Uh, they're a very good team if they play at their best. But the question mark is how much have other teams done to get better? And, and how is the Timbers sort of formula going to work this year versus how it worked last year? And I think another interesting angle to this game, it's two coaches who were in their first year last year who had very, very different experiences. Yeah. Giovanni Savaresi, I think that uh, a lot of us, if we had to go back in time and bet on whether Giovanni Savaresi would take the Timbers to the cup final, I think a lot of us would be like, I'd prefer to wait and see. <laughs> because he was, as somebody who had only coached in the NASL, an unknown commodity at the MLS level once he came to Portland. Anthony Hudson, very much the same way. But at the same time, I think, as we especially saw in the Portland game where he decided to mark man for man and during open play, got his defenders dragged around everywhere by Valerian Blanco and left Armenteros one-on-one with Danny Wilson, um, there was a little bit of tactical naivete there. So you would assume that he's learned some lessons during his first year. He obviously has better personnel. But I think whereas Giovanni Savarese proved a lot in his first year, and he's going to have to be able to prove that he can consistently get those results. Anthony Hudson still has stuff to prove. And I think we should keep an open mind, but I don't know that he proved anything in his first year. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I think if just a few more quick things from this game. Obviously, as I said, first of 12 games on a road, so um, this is going to be a long stretch for the Timbers. Altitude and weather could be a factor. Uh, <laughs> the Timbers at least have been dealing yes. with cold here in Portland today, but it, it could... I think it's going to be good for them that it's an afternoon game, not a night game, because it's dipping to the 14, I think, is the low uh, for Saturday. But it's going to be around uh, 30. Yeah, oh. but they'll be in three cities in seven days, and all of those cities will have had snow. Yeah. So uh, is that a harbinger? Is that a good harbinger or a bad harbinger? I don't know, but it's yeah. a lot of snow. <laughs> it's a lot of snow. At least they, I think training in Portland this week actually might be good preparation for yeah. Colorado. It's not too much warmer here right now. Absolutely. And as you have here in our notes, it's the first of 12 games on the road, as everybody knows. But I thought one of the things that is interesting when we saw their schedule for this week, they're going to be training in uh, Portland on Friday and then traveling Friday for the Saturday game, which is not so unusual for a team that's only one time zone away as Colorado is. But there is always the option to go a little bit early, and the Timbers have done that before. Uh, But I think, is that a hint that they're going to be trying to preserve as many hours as possible at home, trying to get these guys with their families in their own beds for as long as possible? It's probably something to follow up on. It's probably something to watch as we see their schedules unfold going forward. But I think it is one way that perhaps the team is going to be dealing with this extended uh, road stretch to start the season. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about how they're going to approach this game already, sort of the lineup and style play we expect. So I, I think one thing I wanted to hit just before we get to a few more listener oh, I questions. I see this here. We were talking about Colorado. We were talking about the Timbers. Well, sort of, <laughs> yes. Uh, which, if you were to predict right now or whatever you want to say with it, uh, seven teams in the West will make the the playoffs. Okay, what's that going to look like at the end of the season? Who is going to be one through seven for you? I 
didn't think about this until I saw you put it in our notes, and then I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably worth thinking about. Because really, for most of the offseason, I'd been focusing on what I think are the top three in the West, Kansas City, Seattle, and Portland, and what order I would put those teams in. The next two teams that I think could disrupt that, the two Los Angeles teams. And then after that, I kind of stopped thinking about this <laughs> a little bit. But after thinking about this a little bit, um, yeah, I, I definitely have the two teams that to me I think I would clearly pick out and then two others that I think are interesting. So let me, let me ask you this. Do you agree with those five that I listed? I agree that those five are going to be playoff teams. Okay. I don't think I have the exact same order as you. Okay, and that's fine. Let me ask you about two teams that made the playoffs last year that I didn't include in the five, Dallas and Real Salt Lake. What do you think about those teams? I don't see Dallas being good this year. I just, mm-hmm. I think the the turnover they've had, it just, it doesn't look like they're gearing up for a good season. I do not expect them to be a playoff team if I were to predict it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not excited about the moves they've made in the offseason. I think Salt Lake is young. I think they have a lot of young talent uh, that could come together and could be better, some of them coming back for another year. I think, yeah. I think if, if I'm going to give my teams, I, I mean, I, I can just say them right now. Okay. I, Salt Lake's in that group okay. that I think is going to be in the playoffs, so although not high. Um, my group in my order is Kansas City, Seattle, LAFC, LA Galaxy, Timbers. I mm. am getting... Some of the things we've talked about has sort of dropped the timbers of my mind. No DP yet, no consistent goal scorer in the forward position. What's going to happen with Larry and Chara? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. I have them as fifth. Salt Lake is sixth. Colorado's my uh, sort of uh, team that I, I'm going to give a little bit of credit to, even though they probably don't deserve it after how terrible they've been. But I'm going to say they're going to finish seventh because I, Minnesota, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas, I don't like what they've done in the offseason. Houston, I, I think, who knows, maybe they could be in that group. Um, San Jose, they have a new coach, but I don't think their team's any better. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vancouver just replaced like 30 players. So Yeah. I think in my assessment that I would pick the, the Timbers, I, I would put them in that top three group. It's not an easy one because I definitely see why a lot of people are predicting them lower. But I, what I do is I, I go back and look at the team that the Timbers had for the first half of last season when they really you know, both went on a run, but also looked at their most vulnerable at the beginning of the season. I think their goaltending position is better just because Jeff Attenella is better and he wasn't the starter at the beginning of last season. Left back, I think they've upgraded. Right back, I think they've upgraded. Uh, I think David Guzman is likely to have a better year this year, not having to focus on the World Cup for the first half of this year. And quite frankly, he wasn't much of a contributor. Well, the Gold Cup. Well, but I think that... Yeah, I don't think that these guys are going to define their lives by the World Cup the way they did a, a World Cup. Yeah. I think it's likely Andy Polo is going to be better. I think it's likely that uh, Jeremy Obovici will be more productive than he was during the time that he had last year. I think there's a good chance that Sebastian Blanco will be slightly better, but then that still leaves the left center back position, Diego Chara and Diego Valeri. I think once, once you take out the struggles that t- the Timbers had at the beginning of last year where they were still trying to find their identity, I think they look like a top three team and between kind of tossing away the 34th game of the season in Vancouver and the points they dropped at the beginning of the year, they were probably closer to Seattle and Kansas city in terms of quality. So that's why I keep them there. But like we just said, without a major improvement and you see that the galaxy and LAFC are there, LAFC are there. You can make the argument at the same time. I don't see where they've majorly improved except for the galaxy with their coach. I think that's a, that's going to be a, a big improvement. Now, with all that being said, I, I gave my five. The two teams that I have in my seven are not even teams that um, you have in your seven. One is Houston. 
I think Houston is a very good and talented team who last year allocated a lot of their resources to their Open Cup run. And I think that's part of the reason that they ended up uh, fading towards the end of the year. And their, But their record, when you look at it, they finished 11 points back in the playoff spots last year. That's a lot of ground for my theory to make up. But I do like Houston. And then I like Minnesota. I just don't think that Minnesota is as bad as people think they think they are usually. I think they've made some improvements. I think the addition of Osvaldo Alonso, although very expensive, is going to have a big uh, help there. Uh, I think a, a full year of some of their more expensive players coming in and uh, shedding some of the salaries that were ill-advised before. And quite frankly, none of these other teams really impressed me. Vancouver, I'm definitely keeping an open mind because I think Mark Dos Santos is a good coach. And it's the same thing with uh, with San Jose, who brought in a, a really good coach. But um, I'm not sure Almeida is enough, given that roster. Yeah. And I don't really know what Vancouver's roster is going to look like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I'm just not convinced Colorado for the reasons that I've said before. So... Um, so yeah, we already got a prediction out of me here. This is great, <laughs> but I do I, I do think that I might be a little bit high on the Timbers. Um, it's possibly because the way I'm anchoring myself in this conversation is that once you account for the first five games of last season as well as the uh, the last game of the season, they're really closer to one of those top two teams than um, the LA teams or RSL or Dallas from last year's standing. So that might be a that just might be an erroneous way to think about it, though. Okay, so let's hit. Um... Maybe it's somewhat rapid fire. We have a lot of questions before we hit thorns, but let's hit some of Timber's uh, questions. Uh, starting with Bobby, um, he sort of lays it out in terms of road points per game. When you're looking at this first 12 games of the season, how many points that the Timbers need to get? Um, we've talked a little bit about this, but I like how Bobby sort of lays it out. He says points per game on the road. In 2013, the Timbers had 1.12 points per game on the road. 2015, 1.35. 2017, 1.35. 0.06 last year when they made the MLS Cup, one point per game on the road. Um, based on that, Bobby's saying, wouldn't 12 to 16 points be the desirable haul for the Timbers in the first 12 games? What are your thoughts? I mean, my thoughts, yeah, that's a great goal. But I'm, I think part of the question is really, well, not the part of the question. The way I'm thinking about the question is at what point should we worry? And I think if the Timbers end their road haul with less than 10 points is where I would worry. Because if you got 10 points in 12 games, it's still close enough to that one point per game area where you think you can make it up during the rest of the year. You haven't dug, dug yourself so great of a hole. And I think really it's just about staying alive. But also you just think back to some, you know, I hate to keep using this example, but the, some of these Sounders starts of recent years where they're getting way less than a point per game through 12, 14 games in the season and they still make a run deep in the playoffs. I guess ultimately, let me know what you f- feel about this philosophy. It's just about not taking your destiny out of your hands. Like, you don't want to be on six points or four points. But if they came back with nine or eight points, they'd have work to do, but they'd still be within range of being able to make up ground, make that ground up. Yeah, I think 12 to 16 is, if you're going to use the word desirable, yes, that's yeah, a desirable that's a haul. But yeah, I think that it would not be surprising at all to see the Timbers get. Uh, sort of have a less their points per game are fewer than what you would expect them to average because they're on the road consistently in this 12 game stretch so maybe they make that up at the end of the season or maybe this year the road form just isn't what it has been in the past but they try to make it up at home by using the 10 of 12 games at home to end the season so i wouldn't be surprised to see their points per game on the road after this 12 game stretch being below one um which would not be great but as long as they aren't at like four or six, um, seven, even if they're, if they're at nine, um, 
it, it's not the end of the world as long as they're within striking distance and you can see a path in which they can get back into the playoff race. But the consistency of being on the road that many games in the row, I think we're going to have some results suffer because of that. Nicholas asks, which of our new additions will get the most minutes this season? Which of our two T2 promotees? Uh, Jorge Morea, I think, is going to win the right back role. Um, and since we don't have a DP, I'm going to say him out yeah. of the ones that are here right now. And then I think Marvin Loria, it, there's a lot to be excited there. If, yeah. if one of those two, I think Zambrano showed really well at T2, but I, I think Loria is the more exciting prospect. Completely agree with both of those. Matt asks, what's going to happen if LA Galaxy are not in roster compliance by the end of next week? Paul Tenorio wrote an article about the LA Galaxy and four designated players recently, but it's unclear what the league is going to do about it. Yeah. <laughs> not that you and I have any insight on this, but it is a little bit weird that not only does a team have four designated players, doesn't seem to be have any urgency to move yeah. one of the designated players, but nobody seems to be making well, them do yeah. it. I think Sam Siegel went from MLSsoccer.com um, wrote, I think he said today that they basically are in a situation where they're likely to have to just buy down one of those contracts by some weird strange way that probably goes against league roles anyways and is going to make people very mad yeah um but i think yeah they're going to have four essentially 40 ps on the roster with some sort of roundabout way of buying down one of those and it's mls and it's super aggravating because it, that's not how it should work but it seems like they find ways to bend the rules for la galaxy every so often and then we hear today or not just here the galaxy confirmed today that they're letting ola kamara negotiate with a chinese club about his appending departure and it's just so ludicrous because Kamara was one of their productive players last year. Yeah. And now they've got these four designated players who, quite frankly, one of them was not productive, Giovanni Dos Santos. Another one wasn't on the field as much as you would like his brother Jonathan, even though I think he's a very good player. But it's just like, don't isn't there some point at which you have to experience the consequences of your actions? Yeah, apparently not if you uh, are called the LA Galaxy. Yeah, well, league traditions, you know. David asks, with the compacted schedule and potential squad rotations, will we see a win without Chara this season? Will it happen before June? Y- yes, we'll see a win without yeah. Chara this season. Um, and it's likely to happen. Well, I don't know if it'll happen before June because I don't know how many wins the Timbers are actually going to get on the road. I, I think that it's going to be tough in general for the Timbers to pick up a lot of wins on the road. Um, yeah. So maybe not before June, because um, I think if they're rotating Char out of a game, that might be a particularly tough game for them to find a result in. But at some point, the streak has to end. I, I, I think the point is that the Timbers are not, have not shown they're well-equipped to deal with the absence of Chara. Um, At the same time, they've come close to getting a win without him at times. And I think at some point the streak's going to end. And I do think we're going to see Char being rotated out of the lineup at points this year. I I mean, like we've said, he hasn't been slowing down, but he is also going to be 33. And I I think Sarvesi has to find rest for him when those opportunities are there. So I would say, yes, we're going to see one. And and thinking about now, I think it's going to come after June. This question would be so much easier to answer if we had some kind of working theory as to why Diego Chara, based on what, how many games is it now? I think it's 23. I saw 29 somewhere, but that yeah. might be including like all competitions, okay. like US Open Cup or something. I, I don't know, but I counted it up last night and I'm pretty sure I got 23. Okay, yeah, I saw some, maybe it was uh, in MLSsoccer.com's yeah, MLS predictions. Soccer. They had like 018 and 11. Yeah, that's what they like had, that. but. Yeah, maybe, but either way. I have no working theory where one person is just this important to a team. I mean, Chris, 
Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, they miss games here and there. Their teams don't go 29 <laughs> winless. And I think it's fair to say, yes, exactly, exactly, Porkchop. I think it's fair to say that Diego Chara, as great as he is, he's not Lionel Messi, right? But that only leaves us in the dark because there's no working theory as to why Diego Chara has, has there's no answers to why the Timbers can't deal without him. So... I'm just in the dark on this one, Tim. I, if I knew why, if we had some kind of A-B testing that <laughs> produced some kind of results that could lead us to this, I don't know. But um, unless we have some kind of working theory as to why the Timbers <laughs> have been this bad, I'm more apt to say that this is partly fueled by luck and that bad luck will eventually run out. Okay, <laughs> stammering along a little bit on that one. Um, Tim, I, I don't know if this is the same Tim or not. Oh, sorry. Let me get to the first Tim first. Tim number one asks, will Providence Park expansion really be completed by June 1st? And what are you most excited about in regards to the project? Yeah, I think that everything we've heard is there on schedule based on the schedule that they sort of had to alter after the Timbers um, made MLS Cup last year. They decided June 1st was going to be that home opener based on a schedule that they thought was feasible to meet. And they have to meet it. I I mean, the, the Timbers and Thorns play that weekend. So one way or another, (laughs) the Timbers have to meet it. And and there's nothing that I've heard to indicate that they're behind schedule. So um, it should, I expect it to be done. Absolutely completed by June 1st. And what I'm excited about is just to hear what what Providence sounds like. Because I think with that new sort of wall, essentially on the east side, it's going to be sort of this like tunnel that keeps the sound in and it's just going to be so loud so i'm just excited to sort of stand out in the stands and make sure to get out of the press box and get down there and just see like what does this sound like yeah i'm going to stick with the same line i used on twitter last year there are only going to be two places for the sound to go heaven or hell that's it (laughs) um but i i agree with you just from my point of view i i anticipate being a little bit scared standing on the field the first time the crowd erupts because i i just don't know how loud it's going to be it was already a little bit shocking uh when the crowd would fully erupt. And regarding June 1st, yeah, there's there's no reason not to think. But at the same time, like I, I don't know for sure. I haven't been asking every day on this one. Uh, Tim number two asks, if you could pick one only one player that will have a breakout season, Timbers and Thorns, who would you pick? You know, I was so thinking about my Western Conference. <laughs> I'm going to let you go first on this one. I need a second to think about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to stay on the Julio Cascante bandwagon on this one. I think that Julio, uh, like I've been saying ridiculously for a year now. I feel like I'm just hammering this home. You look at him, if you were to scout him, he would project as a potential all-star center back in the league. But obviously it's a matter of actually putting that into application. And uh, on the Thorn side, it's a little bit weird to say because like, I don't think that there are going to be any dramatically new faces in the Thorns lineup, except for the return of Dagny Brynjard Sorter. We don't know that she's going to be in the starting 11 consistently, but I, I do think that Caitlin Ford will have a year that she'll be one of the top four or five forwards in the league. Yeah, I think um, I was thinking Caitlin Ford, but since I'm not going to go with that, because um, I want to do someone different, I'm going to say on the Thorns side, Anna Cernogorsevich, because I think she's going to have a big opportunity to be a a sort pick. of the leader on the team, especially during the World Cup when the Thorns are missing um, the majority of the rest of their attacking players. On the Timber side, I'm going to say Jeremy Abobasi because he has a chance now to prove yeah, that's a good pick too. that he yeah. can have a breakout season. He's going to get a run. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he's going to prove that he's the goal scorer that Timbers necessarily need him to be, but he has the opportunity to prove that he's developed and he's on a really good path. So that's a good transition, I think, to talk a little bit more about Thorns. Um, we don't have a ton of new information, obviously, with Thorns not opening camp until next Monday, March 4th. We'll have a lot more coming on the Thorns side next week. We've already talked about them opening camp and that they'll have the preseason tournament. 
March 24th to the 30th at University of Portland. Um, I guess one thing i interested from your perspective is heading into preseason with the Thorns beginning, who are the players that you think will be competing for roster spots? Um, I mean, I think we should expect to probably see Gabby Seiler, Sandra Yu, Emily Ogle mm-hmm. coming in, the, the uh, draftees from last year and this year. Probably some non-rostered invitees as well. What are your, what's sort of your uh, expectation? Just basically the same. I think you're looking at the returning cast of Thorns using the expanded roster spots and the four kind of supplemental roster spots to keep as many players as possible. And I think definitely uh, Sandra Yu and Gabby Seiler are both in that conversation. Uh, I've been a little bit reticent to talk about Gabby Seiler because I didn't see her at all last year. I got to see Sandra Yu for the second half of the year. Everybody is still very high on Gabby Seiler. Um, when I talk to the coaching staff and people internally, they put her right in the conversation with Sandra Yu. So I think just because she was absent for last year, she never made it out here recovering from injuries and finishing school. Uh, I don't think that should be any indication that she's farther behind or anything like that. I'm very curious to see what she brings, uh, curious to see what these other people bring. And when you start looking at all the midfielders that the team has, even once the World Cup comes and people like Lindsay Horan go away, it's going to be very tough for somebody like Emily Ogle to win playing time, just as it was very tough last year for Sandra Yu to get any time, which she eventually didn't. I think you're still looking at a very competitive and very deep team. Hitting one of the questions now from Jeffrey, since it sort of fits here, is talking about those draft choices. How do you think they're going to fit into the Thorns roster potentially while the starters are away at the World Cup. He, Jeffrey also wants to know, is Parson high on anyone in particular? I think, I think that's something we're going to learn more in the coming weeks. Yeah, I, my recent discussions with uh, Coach Parsons haven't been about all the, the 2019 or 2018 draft picks together. We've been talking about people in isolation. So I don't know if he's particularly higher on one player than another. And maybe that's something that we can ask Mark once his media availability starts happening. Uh, I have talked to him specifically about Gabby Seiler. Um, I know <laughs> that I had been... I've always been reticent to talk about Gabby Seiler for the reasons I mentioned, but he keeps kind of saying, you know, this is somebody that is going to be... Uh, is important to us as far as her future, as far as what she can potentially contribute. So uh, I know that she's definitely in his thoughts, but as far as like who out of Gabby Seiler, Sandra Yu, or even the other draft picks from last year, uh, you know, uh, Bella Bixby or uh, Elizabeth Ball wasn't a draft pick, but she certainly is part of that class. I don't know who he's highest on. And I think if 2018 gives us any indication, and I'd love to know what you think about this is that the 2019 draft pick, it's going to be very hard for her to make an impact because what we're seeing more and more is that even players taken out at the top of the draft, let alone in the third round, are having a lot of time earning minutes their first year. A lot of trouble. Yeah, I think the big caveat to that is the World Cup. I mean, I do think some of these players will get opportunities during that time uh, to prove themselves. And, and if they show well, that could lead to more opportunities. But yeah, without the World Cup, I wouldn't expect really us to be talking much at all about any of these draft picks and the role they're going to play. Maybe um, if one of them turns out to be better than we know, because we haven't yeah. actually had the chance to really see them play. But because of the World Cup, I do think some of these players could play a, a role at that point in the season. Yeah, I think that you know, when we were talking about our World Cup 11s last week, uh, two weeks ago, four weeks ago, <laughs> uh, I put Elizabeth Ball in there as somebody that I would right now think would be a starter during the World Cup. I think Sandra Yu will be in that conversation. I kept Gabby Seiler out just because I've never seen her play. But I think if you talking about midfielders, you're going to have Celeste Bure, Dagny Bernier's daughter, Angela Salem, Aunt Sandra Yu, 
and Gabby Seiler, and then Emily Ogle has to beat one of those people out. So yeah. even then, it's going to be tough for her. Yeah, um, I, th- I think the other thing I brought up, but I, I think it maybe makes more sense to wait to talking to Mark because we've talked about this before, sort of how we feel about the Portland's current roster. I think you've been a little bit more optimistic than me yep. at the lack of off-season moves. That'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I think the biggest thing we'll be asking Mark about it and why this is the route they've been going. So I think next week we can talk a little bit more about the state of the roster and, and sort of get a little bit more of a perspective from the thorns on that. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on, obviously, She Believes Cup starts uh, Wednesday, uh, tomorrow, or most likely when you're listening to this today. <laughs> um, Lindsay Horan is out with a quad injury. We don't know a whole lot more unless uh, you have any light no. you can shed on that. No, I mean, none of these players have been in Portland to be examined, and they're pretty much U.S. soccer players until they're training, they get released to training camp. So, you know, you and I kind of vented on this, the last show, why do these players keep getting injured in us camp? And even today, Daniel Colaprico had to be pulled out of us women's national team camp. And she was replaced by Emily Fox, uh, the UNC prospect, but it really is remarkable at this time of year. Yeah. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully Lindsay Horan's injury is hopefully they're keeping her out of, she believes more as a precautionary. We don't want to run these players into a gra- the ground measure rather than it being something serious. Yeah. I mean, I saw her walking around in some of the videos they were posting. So it's clearly not something where she is limping around or struggling to walk. Uh, that's always a good sign. Um, but we'll have to wait and see to find out more information there. Heat Son and French are uh, with the national team for She Believes Cup. I guess the one question coming out of this is when do you expect the the World Cup roster to be named? I think last year was at the beginning of April. Um, are we going to be seeing it after She Believes Cup or, or sort of after the next round of uh, call-ups? Uh, no idea. I, if you told me that the roster was not named until the second or third week of April, I... I wouldn't be surprised. I was surprised last time that they named it so early because I just didn't see the point of that. It's okay. You're naming this roster, even though you could potentially gather another month of information or maybe one of these people that you're really sure is in the 23 gets injured. But now you've got to go through the whole thing of calling in another person, even though now they know that they weren't part of the 23. So I don't know. Jill Ellis had her logic last time and I'm sure she'll have her logic this time. And I guess if we had to bet on it, we should assume beginning of April. Um, one other interesting bit of news that I found out about, um, I'm, I'm sure that you can't necessarily provide any insight on confirming or <laughs> denying the <laughs> reports, but um, Olivia Moultrie, a 13-year-old, uh, has become the youngest uh, girls um, player, women's player, but she's still a kid, so um, to turn pro. Uh, she signed a what sounds like a six-figure endorsement deal with Nike. She has a sports agency, and it sounds like she's, from my reporting, from multiple sources, is coming to Portland to join the Thorns um, Developmental Academy. What do you make of this, if it should happen? I mean, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm mixed about it because I just don't know the specifics of her situation. Um, I'm part of part of me is really happy that somebody is using their earning power to earn what they can and not just blindly buying into the college system because I think there is a lot of just there are a lot of arguments that are so, are advocating for college that players continue to use the college route but really it's kind of an individual by individual basis. Um, Olivia Moultrie clearly has an earning power that would be stifled if she tried to maintain her amateur eligibility. So not to say that everybody should do what she's doing, but there's clearly a logic to what she's doing. Um, but not having, not having a lot of knowledge of her game 
and not really thinking that anybody should be making sweeping conclusions about a 13-year-old's game. I mean, she could be the best 13-year-old in the world, but by the time she's 15, maybe she's regressed back to the mean. So I'm really, really hesitant to draw any big conclusions about the dis- professional decisions of a 13-year-old. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, you, you see, you know, Freddie Adu is the big American example of a young player yeah. that was hyped really early and never lived up to expectations um, in the soccer world. And, and so you really don't know. I mean, she might be, she's clearly a great 13 year old. Like we don't really know her. So yeah. we haven't seen seen tons of um, film of her playing or anything. So we don't really know what it is except what's out there. She's clearly good or else she wouldn't be getting these opportunities. Um, but yeah, you don't know what she's going to be like in a few years. That said, if she can earn six figures now, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see the harm in it. If if she has the opportunity to try this and train in the best environment possible, college can always be a backup. I mean, six figures is money you can save to go yeah. back to college, and it does it doesn't. You don't necessarily need to be in a situation where you're playing college soccer. If your best option to make it at the highest level in soccer is to turn pro now and see what you can do and use college as a fallback. If that works for her and her family, um, I, 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 I'm fine with that. And I'm interested to see sort of how this plays out. Um, but yeah, it, it's, <laughs> I, I do always worry about the prospect, especially when you have a player signing this kind of deal of having them ultimately becoming overhyped too young and, and that having a negative impact. In the- but that's on us. I mean, yeah, that's on, that is on us. <laughs> yeah, that's on you and me to maintain perspective and that's on fans to Remember that this is a 13-year-old, and while there are certainly going to be people out there that are going to want to promote her as being something that you should necessarily follow, and maybe you should. Maybe you should follow what Olivia Moultrie is doing. You should follow that knowing that you're following somebody who is in their adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> um, listener questions. You want to go to these? Yeah. Uh, Donna asks, do the Thorns have any space for any more international signings? So I'm not sure what the what their international spots look like. Maybe you can clarify on that. But I, I know they've been talking to internationals, and I know mm-hmm. they clearly are potentially going after internationals, whether it's now midseason or, or for the future. I mean, Mark Parsons was very clear that they're in discussions with those several um, big-time players that, that could be international players. So whether they have the international spots now or, or would get them later, they clearly believe that they can be uh, scouting internationals and, and are in a position to bring more in if they have the right opportunity. Yeah, I mean, just like in, we were talking about with MLS, there's a point at which the roster has to come compliant. And if that point happened right now, the Thorns wouldn't have any room for internationals, new internationals. So I guess the answer to Donna's question is no, they don't. So if you were to bring in another person that required an international spot, you would either have to acquire that international spot, one was traded in the NWSL today from Houston to Orlando, or you would have to deal with your players that do take international spots. So you know, right now the Thorns have a number of international players. Last year they had to trade for a spot from Washington Spirit in order to uh, accommodate the activation of Caitlin Ford when she was healthy enough. And so that's pretty much where the thorns stand right now to the max at this point. Uh, Donna, is this a Donna two situation? Yeah. It's the same Donna. This one, I think it was a different Tim, but Donna had two questions. Hence Donna's use of the word. Also, also your thoughts on Andresina. She didn't play much for the thorns last year. It seems is she resigned? Yeah, I think, um, actually I I think let's start by, uh, I'm actually going to skip ahead because let's answer Kelly's question in order to answer Donna's question. Okay. Cause Kelly asked in, in general status of the Thorns players who were offered new contracts, but weren't officially resigned. So that's, um, 
Ify Onamunu, Andresinha, Mitch Purse, and Emily Menges. Did you have any updates on um, their contract statuses? Uh, we're probably going to hear official word from the club here very soon. I think maybe people will have heard official word from the club by the time they heard they hear this. But uh, I guess the best thing to say here is that you nobody should worry about those players being unavailable to the Thorns in the 2019 season. Yeah. I, I mean, that was my expectation. There was no official word, but... Um, uh, uh, given how, especially, you know, Emily Menga's image person, yeah. the way that they've been talked about, um, there was no indication to me that there was any chance they weren't coming back. So kind of getting back to Donna's question then, um, sort of thoughts on Andresinha. Andresinha is somebody who uh, kind of was the person on the wrong end of the stick of Celeste Bure's emergence last year because once it became clear that she needed to be in the team to balance the midfield, there wasn't a place for Andresinha in the team anymore. I think... Mark Parsons was perpetually complimentary of what Andre Senior brought, and we thought we saw coming off the bench a couple of times, even as it was clear she wasn't part of the starting eleven, she was able to change a couple of games. But I I mean honestly, when you sketch out the eleven for the Thorns, where does she fit? Yeah, I, I still don't see I don't really see the role for her and I, I especially she's an international, um she's gonna be missing time for the World Cup. I, I am surprised that she is on the roster at this point. And I wouldn't be surprised if she's not on the roster mm. at some point. <laughs> Interesting. Not with anything I know, but just nope. of, if I'm going to look at any player, and I've been saying this since last year, if I'm going to look at any player on the roster that yeah. sort of just does seems to have trade value but doesn't necessarily seem to fit into what the Thorns are doing, yeah. she's the player that stands out to me. Yeah. Uh, what's the line from uh, Silver Linings Playbook? If it's me reading the signs? Well, if it's Jamie Goldberg reading the signs. <laughs> uh, and that doesn't seem like such a ludicrous uh, prediction, or at least, I guess prediction is the wrong word, but if you were in that position, you'd be wondering what Andre Senior's place is on the Thorn squad. Yeah. Jeffrey. I think actually I you moved the questions up. Yeah. So I think that's, I think, I think that is our Thorns question. I think that's it. So let's go to Jamie Goldberg's favorite part of the show. Predictions. Predictions are back. We have games to predict. Yeah. Jamie, Colorado. Timbers visiting there. First of 12 road games. Place they had success last year. A place where, again, they will go in with a talent advantage, you would think. A place where most people are going to predict that they will get a win. So, Jamie Goldberg, what is your prediction for game one of the Timbers 2019 season? Um, I am going to predict a loss. Um, And it's not... There's a few factors for me on this. I'm going to predict a 2-1 loss. Um, There's a few factors. I I think, as I've said, that I think Colorado's a lot better. Um, And I think the MLS veterans that they have are, are, are players that are going to be able to make a difference. And I, I think especially early in the season before, you know, fatigue and, and injuries and age sort of catches up with them. I also think they're going to be motivated at home. Um, they're going to be, have the advantage with the altitude and the weather potentially. Um, but I think coming in after the terrible season last year, a lot of these veterans have, um, you know, been cast off by their other teams. There's going to be a lot of motivation for Colorado to do well in this game. And I I think they're going to come out uh, to play for it. I think the Timbers going on the road early in the season. I I just see this not necessarily going well. We'll see. Um, We'll see. It would be great. The Timbers have not historically, there's been one or two seasons where it's been okay, but they've not historically done well in March. Um, We'll see if this year is different, uh, especially with the consistency coming off MLS Cup last year. And maybe they can pick off pick up where they've left off but i am predicting a 2-1 loss yeah when i was driving away from the training center today i was going through all these different experiences of opening days throughout my years covering this league and on some levels this does seem to 
feel like a game where like a new team coming together with a bunch of guys to prove has like their one performance that surprises everybody and tells the rest of the league, okay, we, the Colorado Rapids, are going to be a team to reckon with. And to a certain extent, I think the Galaxy might have been a little bit like that last year against the Timbers, where it was a bunch of guys who had kind of just been brought together as veterans and nobody knew who they were, and they got a 2-1 win versus the Timbers. And I think a lot of that, though, looking back on it, was the Timbers kind of not mentally being ready for the season to start or thinking things were going to be easier than they were and having to go through that adjustment. So if the Timbers learn from last year's experience and apply that this year, I would expect a better result than last year because I'm, you know, I'm like we said before, I'm not sold on Colorado. But my side bet for this one is a very simple one because after months and months of ridiculous side bets, I'm going to try to Try to get off to a good start here. I'm going to go for a single instead of a home run here. I'm going to just say that the Timbers allow fewer than two goals. Not a big side bet, but it, it is one that kind of runs contrary to what you're saying a little bit. Um, you're, you're kind of hypothesizing that the Colorado attack, this new fangled attack that they have, <laughs> gives the Timbers some trouble. I think that this defense, in the same way that you think that Colorado has things to prove, I think a central defensive pairing of Larry Smaviala and Julio Cascante has something to prove. And I do think Jeff Atnella, starting his first season opener as a number one, he hasn't he didn't start either the last two season openers. I think he is very intent in consolidating his place as one of the better goalkeepers in Major League Soccer. All right. We will see. Uh, that is all for today. Um, we, we were talking about having a live show. I know we posted that on Twitter. We're looking at that for the future. Just need to make sure if we're going to have it, that it's worthwhile for everyone and, and we can have... Um, some cool guests to bring out. So um, if that comes up again or we can reschedule it, we will keep everyone posted. Um, But for now, that's all for this week. Uh, We'll see what happens in Colorado. We're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on Oregon Live, uh, Timbers.com and Stumptown Footy, or you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care.